Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. The number of people texting in telling me that they have experiences seeing Bigfoot. I'm saying. It's, I'm not believing any of you, but congratulations. <laughs> because you you grew up in SeaTac. Yeah. You ain't out there incarnation no. in North Bend. The biggest animal I saw was a rat. No, one time I saw a raccoon in a parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. So, okay, sure. Maybe, maybe my experience growing up didn't lend itself to potentially having a run-in with Bigfoot. And maybe that impacts whether or not I think Bigfoot is real. I live in Monroe. I'm out there in the country. You know how many times I didn't take the trash out? I'm like, hold up. What's that? You know, so, so, what's that? How do you know it's just, not, just a big dude? Could have been. You know? It was Sasquatch, though. Okay. Uh, <laughs> is there an obvious point where Seattle moves on from Geno Smith? The reason we're asking this question is because of some rumors that Seattle could not only draft a quarterback, potentially even trade for Justin Fields. We'll talk about both of those options. Um, but also because the Seahawks have a big decision to make this week about Geno Smith. On Friday, um, they're is a possibility that the Seahawks could move on because Gino is automatically due $12.7 million of his base salary. Now, that doesn't mean they will move on. You could have that $12.7 million due. It becomes fully guaranteed on Friday and still trade him, still keep him, um, you know, still bench him for someone else, whatever you want to do, but there is a financial thing to consider. Brady Henderson of ESPN joined us yesterday, told us what he thinks happens. My gut tells me that they they roll with him and that they but they continue to explore options. And, and part of the reason I say that is look, $22.5 million. That 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 is in some respects a lot of money. Um, and it's you know money that they could use towards other parts of their roster. But if you just look at where that ranks in terms of quarterbacks and the cash that they are scheduled to make next season, I, I believe right now it ranks 18th. And, and by the way, that's before you know Dak gets a new deal. That's before Tua uh, gets his first big contract. Uh, other quarterbacks are going to yep. get deals that yep. push him even further down into the 20s. And so yep. if you just look at it from that standpoint. You know, Gino Smith is one of the 20 best quarterbacks in the NFL. So you could easily justify the price, at least for one more year. What do you think about Brady saying that? Saying, look, I know that that cap hit jumps from 10 million, which was a very team friendly cap hit in 2022. He was comeback player of the year. It felt like you were getting more bang for your buck. Uh, In 2024, excuse me, 2023. In 2024, it jumps to 31 million. That one stings a little bit more, but it still makes him just the 12th highest paid quarterback. And that will continue to push back. It stings, but it makes sense to me. Like, Gino is inflation when it comes to Air Force Ones, right? Them things used to cost like 80 bucks back in the day. I saw Air Force One, all white, plain white ones, for about a buck 20. But then you look at what the other shoes cost. All right, the Jordans have gone up. Everything else has gone up. This is just the price of having a top 20 quarterback is what Brady, how Brady described him, right? I would say top 15. I would say top 14, honestly. Um, there's not too many guys that I'm going to take in front of Geno. So I think that he describes it beautifully. He goes, look, other guys are going to get paid, and that price is going to go up for a top tier. If you look at who Geno is and all his production, this makes complete sense for uh, the price point with Geno. Uh, so – Again, I'll reiterate it. I did it yesterday. I'll do it today. I'm completely fine with them paying Gino X amount of dollars. Now it's about your your second question or how you led into this thing is mm-hmm. for how long? Mm-hmm. How long? When is there? What's the point where we look at Gino and say, all right, that's enough. We, we appreciate what you've done. Let's move on. My answer to that is when you have found his replacement. 
and you have a couple of years to do that. You could do it this year in this draft if you wanted to. You could uh, draft a QB at 16. You could draft a QB later in the draft. Russell Wilson was found, what, in the third round? Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are possibilities there. You look at this draft class when it comes to quarterbacks, and it's pretty thick, right? You got the kid from LSU. You got Michael Penix. You got Bo. You got Caleb. You got the kid from North Carolina, from, from Notre Dame. Guys are going to slip. Every team isn't looking for a quarterback right now. Uh, so I'm completely fine with paying Geno whatever his contract says for the next year or two. But the next year or two – that needs to be top of your list. Find the replacement for Geno. He's getting older, and this franchise needs to go a certain direction. They're looking for a Super Bowl caliber quarterback. Not to say that Geno isn't. You surround Geno with enough pieces, I think you're fine. You put Geno on the 49ers, I think you still make it to at least a conference championship game. So there are some things that you can do to support him, but no, I'm completely fine with it. From Nelson and Kent, there are some people that feel the way Nelson does here. With all due respect, I'm so tired of the Geno convo. The way it's being phrased is that he should uh, only that he must be kept. He's a top 10 quarterback and he didn't decline in play. Um, so there are some people that think like, look, uh, Stephen Ruiz of The Ringer is another one of these guys. Um, I just saw him on with uh, Jackson Bevins, who does a Cigar Thoughts podcast, and he interviewed Stephen about Gino and asked him what he thought. Gino finished eighth in Stephen Ruiz's uh, quarterback rankings, and Stephen Ruiz thought, look, if you get him a better offensive mm-hmm. line, you know, like, you know, if you, you know, have Grubb ends up being a, a pretty decent play caller, like, Gino can be a quarterback good enough to get you deep into the playoffs to help you try to make a Super Bowl run. Like, there are people that genuinely think, you know what, I am totally fine with what I've seen from Gino. I... Now, if you're someone who thinks Geno's the reason the Seahawks uh, didn't make the playoffs, I just don't agree with you fundamentally about football. However, if you're someone that says, well, Geno Smith is 33 years old and I'm a little nervous about like a long-term solution, I think that's where most Seahawks fans fall bump. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's where we can all meet and agree that, all right, even if you are on the get somebody in here right now or get somebody in here later, if he is here – we all agree that something needs to happen. Something needs to be in the works. We need to have somebody on this roster who you think is going to be the next guy, next guy. Even if it doesn't work out, at least have a plan. If something were to happen, this is the guy. And some people think it's Drew Locke. We'll see what they do with Drew. Are they going to sign Drew? Is Drew going to sign somewhere else? If I'm Drew Locke, I'm looking to be a starter somewhere. It's going to be hard to do, but I'm looking to start. So, yeah, that's where we can all come together. We can kumbaya and say, whatever happens, Somebody needs to be waiting. Someone needs to be preparing to take over for this uh, for the Seattle Seahawks just because of the age and the situation, right? And um, I'm looking at all the quarterbacks in the league, and I'm just starting with passing yards, right? Mm-hmm. You look at passing yards, Geno is ranked 16, 3,624 yards. There are guys in front of him that I'm taking Geno over for show right now. I'm taking Derek Carr over Geno. I'm taking Sam Howell over Geno. Uh, Trevor Lawrence has potential, had a down year kind of this year when it comes to wins and losses, but obviously his numbers are up. Um, taking Bryce, Desmond. I mean, there are, there are five or six guys that I will take, uh, that I'll take Geno over right now if we're just looking at passing yards. Um, so let, let's not ignore that, man. I'm, we're not saying that Geno's uh, you know, the best quarterback in the game, but if you surround most of these guys, most of the names that you know and love, you surround them with a great offense, a great defense, an offensive coordinator who gets them, a defensive coordinator who gets them, you have a chance to win some ball games. And that's all I'm looking for, man. Give me 10 wins this year, and it's a win. That's what I'm saying. And for some people, the question of when do you move on from Geno uh, is you don't. He's your answer. For other people, it's 
when I decide whether or not he can be the answer because they don't have an answer to that yet. And I think that, you know, if I fall into that group, um, well, I fall into the group of wanting a young rookie eventually and seeing Gino as a very serviceable bridge quarterback. Um, and when I look at his numbers last year, I wonder what he looks like in a more stable offense. Um, he had uh, as many touchdowns as Justin Herbert, one fewer than Trevor Lawrence and CJ Stroud. These stats don't tell the whole stories. He had 10 fewer touchdowns than he did last year. But last year, he was the only NFC quarterback to throw for 30 or more touchdowns, which was incredibly impressive in itself. He led all quarterbacks in times hurried. Now, he was not the most sack quarterback, but this offensive line did struggle at times to protect Geno Smith. And I know that you can look at it and you can say, oh, he didn't let go of the ball soon enough. But that was certainly not the biggest problem with this offense. And it was far from the biggest problem with this team. This team had a defense that was not good. For the last two seasons, the defense has been 25th or worse in scoring and in yards. Geno Smith needed to improve and have a career year again uh, in a season that would, um, you know, kind of go into a year where he'd have a higher cap hit. There are some people whose minds he didn't make up and whose, whose minds he didn't convince. And that's okay. That's fine. This team was very flawed, and and I don't know that Geno is the kind of quarterback like a Patrick Mahomes who can put a team on his back and carry him. Uh, that quarterback also, Patrick Mahomes, requires a much greater investment and a lot of luck. Yeah, um, he requires a greater investment uh, because of his abilities, right? He He makes up for a defense not playing well, but guess what? His defense played excellent this year. You combine that with him having a down year and you might be okay. So imagine if Gino had a down year this year, but that defense was top five, you can make up for some mistakes, right? I'm looking at the worst defenses in the league when it comes to the yards being given up last year. And you got commanders, Bengals, Seahawks, Broncos, Chargers, Giants, Eagles, Cardinals, uh, Colts in Tampa Bay. There's only two playoff teams, um, in the 10 that I just named, and one is the Philadelphia Eagles. What do they have? They got a great quarterback, decent run game, two really good receivers, a tight end. Look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think that they're um, they're a product of their division. They did go 9-8, and eight, but they won their division at 9-8, and eight, so therefore they sneak into the playoffs. You look at the teams who really make the run at this thing. All right, most of them are in the top half of the defense, and that's all we're asking. You put Geno in a situation where his defense is in the top half of the NFL, you're going to win a few more games. You know why? Because he's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Lamar Jackson. I'm going to uh, improvise with my feet. He's not Josh Allen. Gino is Gino. So if you just accept him for who he is, accept him his strengths and his weaknesses, and just understand this is the type of team that needs to be around him for him to win, then I think you're you might look at the situation a bit differently. Now, the people who are saying go ahead and get you a rookie quarterback and put him in the game with his defense as it stands right now, and I believe Mike McDonald is going to do some things. Mm -hmm. He's going to change his defense. He's going to bring in new pieces. He's going to elevate second-year guys that we talked about yesterday. I truly believe that. But do you want to do that and roll the dice with a young guy who hasn't been in this league who hasn't proven? Or do you want to say, all right, let's go with a guy who's a two-time Pro Bowler who did lead the uh, NFC in touchdowns last year with 30, who did, who was top three the a couple years ago when it comes to a completion percentage and say, look, all right, you had one off year, one good year. Let's see what you can do with the defense that supports you. Um, so the question, is there an obvious point where Seattle moves on from Gino? For some people, you don't. He's the guy. For some people, when he can't perform in an improved environment in 2024, if you improve that environment around him and he can't improve those stats, then it's time to move on. For some people, they're ready now. 
Team Drew Locke, younger, cheaper. They liked what they saw in a comeback win over the Eagles, and they want Drew. For other people, it's when another option becomes available. Might that option be Bears, potentially former Bears quarterback, Justin Fields? Now, the Bears have the number one pick in the draft, thanks to that trade, with the Panthers. And they, by all accounts, are going to be taking Caleb Williams. There's been some rumors that the Bears are going to hang on to Justin Fields and Caleb Williams, but much heavier rumors that they're going to move on from Justin Fields, and most people are expecting them to do that. There's a question of what Justin Fields would cost and whether the Seahawks would be willing to do it. According to Field Yates, it might not be as much as you think. I don't think a first-round pick is in play for Justin Fields, but if I'm Ryan Poles, the Bears general manager, I want at least a second-round pick and perhaps a little extra goodies to make this deal worthwhile for the franchise. If I'm the Pittsburgh Steelers, I own number 50, the 50th pick overall in the draft. I'm calling Ryan Poles. I'm saying pick 50 and something else to get this deal done with the Chicago Bears to make Justin Fields the new centerpiece of the Steelers' offense and give you a player at quarterback that a team actually fears for the first time since Ben Roethlisberger was under center in Pittsburgh a few seasons ago. Now, that is Field Yates making an argument for the Steelers draft, or excuse me, trading for Justin Fields. Let's flip it and make it the Seahawks. It may not cost a first rounder. Seattle doesn't have a second rounder right now. They'd have to do some maneuvering. Um, Could you see an argument for saying, hey, the time to move on from Geno is when a better quarterback becomes available via trade and that quarterback is Justin Fields? Could be. I ain't mad at that. Yeah. It could be Justin Fields. And Justin Fields was in a horrible situation with Chicago. I believe once he's coached up, he can be a bit more better. Now, if you give up Justin Fields, here's a Mike Salk um, theory. You give up Justin Fields, you're giving up DK. You're going to give DK. Who, who's your biggest asset? Who who costs you the most? Teams are going to want your best player for Justin Fields. And, that's and right now on paper, it's DK on offense. Are you willing to do that? Me personally, no, I don't want to give up DK. I think you have three, those that trio, that DK, Lockett, and JSN trio is deadly, and they've only had a year to work together. Now you have a new offensive coordinator in Grubb who knows how to push the ball down the field and get it to playmakers. I want to see what Grubb can do with a DK Metcalf. So the Justin Fields thing, I get it. I understand it. I wouldn't mind him here in Seattle, but I'm also looking at who am I willing to give up? And on offense, when it comes to the guys who touch the football, when it comes to the three receivers over there, the three tight ends, the two running backs, I'm not ready to give up. I want to see what Grubb can do with those guys. I agree. And I want to see what Grubb can do with those guys along with Geno Smith. And I also want to see what, and this is important, McDonald can do with this defense. Right. I think one of the most common arguments I see financially about moving on from Geno Smith is, well, Drew Locke is so much cheaper, and even if he has a little drop-off in play, it'll be okay because then you can reinvest the money that you save moving on from Geno into the defense. Seattle's invested a ton in its defense. The problem with Seattle hasn't been a lack of money invested in defense, a lack of picks used in defense. It's been that those guys don't play well. Is it coaching? Is it execution? I'm curious to see if with all the pieces they have defensively, give or take a couple they'll need to add, McDonald can turn that unit around. Because if that happens, you don't want to give up the better quarterback. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if a this is excluding the possibility of drafting a quarterback who works out. It's just between Gino and Drew. I think Gino is a better quarterback than Drew. Do I think everyone agrees with me? No, I know they don't. Do I think John Schneider agrees with me? I, I don't know. I think John Schneider might be interested in Drew Locke. I mean, right. that's part of the piece that he acquired for that Russell Wilson trade. I bet part of him is curious. Yeah. Um, but I did not mind a lot of what I saw from Gino. I do not think Gino was the primary reason for this team's struggles. I don't think he's the best quarterback in the league, but I think he's very serviceable, and I am not willing to take from the offense 
when that's your strength nope. without checking first to see if coaching can fix some of your defensive problems rather than spending. And Geno's a better quarterback than Justin. Justin just has more potential. At this that's point, Geno's a better quarterback. Let's get to four down territory. This is four down territory going inside the game with former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. First down as you watch more film and digest Super Bowl 58. What name keeps popping up? Big ups to Chris Jones. He had himself a day um, on Sunday during the Super Bowl. Uh, we we knew this defense, this Chiefs defense, was going to be tough. Man, but the more I listen, the more I watch, the more I break down, Trick McDuffie is a problem. He is a problem. There were 40 cover snaps, seven targets. He allowed zero first downs and nine total yards. All right, I'm watching him play defense against Debo. And I go, he's, he's in his hip, he's on his pocket, or he's on his hip in his pocket. Mm-hmm. This dude is everywhere, right? And Debo's not an easy guy to, to, to cover. Now, he's not the greatest route runner, but he's a playmaker. And there are opportunities for him to make plays, and it didn't happen. The more impressive thing I saw from Trent McDuffie is when Trent Williams tried to get out on that second level and block him, and he olayed him and made the tackle. Trent McDuffie is a problem. And the more I watch film, the more I appreciate what he does. If Spagnolo can keep this defense together and run it back with those main pieces, that Chiefs offense is going to get better. Three in a row is looking likely, more likely, every time I put on the film because I see guys like Trent McDuffie. I'm so jealous that they were able to replenish so much of that defense with like third, fourth, fifth round picks. It's like, remember when Seattle tried to do that by replenishing that secondary with Shaq Griffin? And Lano Hill and Tedrick Thompson and all those guys, and nothing came from it. Mm-hmm. It would be like if all of that produced like three starters. It's the worst. Yeah. Second man. down. What division has the best young talent at the quarterback position? Man, we all know who the ballers are, right? AFC East, you got Josh Allen, you got your boy um, Tua, and then you got Aaron Rodgers. AFC West, you got Russell Wilson, at least for now. You got. Um, Pat Mahomes, you got Justin Herbert over there. But I'm looking at the AFC South, and I'm saying, okay, I want to see a year where all these guys are healthy and they are the starters for the whole season. C.J. Stroud has already established himself as one of the best talents at the quarterback spot. Trevor Lawrence had himself a little bit of an off year, but we all see the potential there. Anthony Richardson played, what, two games or something like that before he's banged up. He's probably, him and Lamar are probably the most athletic quarterbacks in his league. And then Will Levis surprised the heck out of me. I was not expecting Will Levis to do what he does. I look at the AFC South and I'm saying, all right, let's see what happens over there. Everybody over there is young. Every starter, I don't even know this for sure, but I'm going to say every starter is 25 and under at that quarterback spot. All right, you got CJ, Anthony Richardson, Trevor Lawrence, and Will Levis. Surprise, surprise. Man, I'm going to be watching that division. I'm going to be seeing who they add to that offense to help these young men, but I'm excited to see how these dudes develop. Third down. Does losing three Super Bowls make it fair when people say Kyle Shanahan uh, has to commit to win big games? It's... um. It's how you lost those games. Yeah. 2016, you're up 21 to zero after a pick six thrown by Tom Brady. Third quarter, you're up 28 to three. Then you go punt minus 15 yards, fumble minus two yards, punt 45 yards, punt 16 yards, 44 yards of offense in the last four drives. Let's go to 2019. You're up 20 to 10 in the third quarter. No points off a Mahomes interception in the third quarter. You go five plays, 17 yards punt. Three plays, five yards punt. Seven plays, 27 yards punt. Two plays, zero yards interception. 49 yards of offense in the final four drives. Then you get to this year. 
All right. Miss PAT. Muff punt. You didn't score off an interception. Hey. You didn't score off a fumble. Hey. You go three plays, minus one after interception. Four plays, 21 yards after the fumble. All right. The difference is in this drive or this game, last four drives, you were good. 12 plays, 75 yards. Seven plays, 40 yards field goal. One play ends the game. In overtime, you go 13 plays, 66 yards for a field goal. You go 180 yards and 13 points the last four drives of this game. They're not closing games out. They're not taking care of opportunities. Now, it's up to the guys to execute that, but it's up to the head coach to prepare these guys. I love the way he danced around this question. Oh, we've won plenty of big games. We know you have, Kyle. You won the division. Mm-hmm. You won NFC championships. We're talking about the Super Bowl, man. And I, I think he is a good coach. I think he's one of the greatest minds in the league. But there's something about being prepared at the end of the game that keeps showing up for these guys. So at some point, he just got to take it on the chin and say, I got to do better. We haven't won the big game. But you know what? We're going to win it next year. Or that window is still open. I just don't like Kyle Shanahan dancing around the question. Like, dude, you haven't won the Super Bowl. You haven't won the big game. So, yes, he has an issue. He cannot win the big games. But I think he's still young. He's 44 years old. He'll have another opportunity and possibly get one. Fourth down. We opened the show talking about our expectations for the Mariners in 2024. What's a good year for the Seahawks in 2024? Easy. Defense is in the top half when it comes to overall. Offense is in the top 10, and you're competing for the division title. I say compete because the Niners ain't going nowhere, and the Rams ain't going nowhere, and I still want to see what these Arizona Cardinals look like. But 10 wins. 10 wins, get into the playoffs, and compete. I want to see the defense be a lot more fundamentally sound. I want to see them actually wrap guys up, take them to the ground. And I think with uh, McDonald and the gang over there, they are going to be fine, man. So I'm not asking for a lot, I feel like. Defense, top half of the the league. Offense, top 10. I think you have the weapons and the quarterback to do that. We'll see what they do at the quarterback spot. You got Grubb coming in. He's going to assemble his staff. I'm not asking for a lot, Stacey. Compete for the division. Maybe sneak into the playoffs. I just want to see improvement. I know a lot of people want a Super Bowl, but I live in this place called reality. <laughs> this team ain't ready for a Super Bowl yet, but they can start putting these pieces together. All I want, I, I'm not asking for much to ask that both the Mariners and Seahawks make the playoffs in 2024. Is that so much to ask? I don't think so. No. You're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. The legend of Patrick Mahomes grows this time because of a text message. This is The Timeline with Bump and Stacy. Brought to you by 1-800-DUIOA. It is Bump and Stacy, and we are taking a look at the timeline, the top stories you're going to see trending on your own timelines. The legend of Patrick Mahomes grows with our first story, this time because of a text message. Brittany Mahomes, Patrick's wife, posted a screenshot of a text sent to her from her husband, Patrick Mahomes, on January 5th guaranteeing another Chiefs Super Bowl run and bump. He did it in the most casual way. Patrick texted her at 1.20 in the afternoon on Friday, January 5th, and said, I decided we're going to win the Super Bowl. (laughs) I like it. Yeah. He said uh, on uh, Sunday, uh, this was during the AFC uh, championship win. I'll see y'all in Vegas. I'm not done. The initial point being on Friday, January 5th. It looks like it's in a group chat because there's a couple people reacting yeah. to it. I decided we are going to win the Super Bowl is just just a great way to announce that, yeah, I'm going to go win. All right. Um, can I kind of be a hater right now? Yes. A little bit. Of course he's going to text wifey that. Every quarterback in the playoffs 
You're trying to manifest this. You're saying this is our year. I guarantee you, Jared Goff had conversations with his wife, Brock Purdy, his his uh, if he has a girl or not, or, or his family. I mean, yes, he called his shot, and with the year that the Chiefs had, mm-hmm. this was a big one because you're thinking, ain't no way these guys are going to the Super Bowl. But it's also like, man, every quarterback does that. Every player does that, right? I was I told my wife when I was in the NFL, I'm going to the Pro Bowl. You know what I mean? Didn't sniff the Pro Bowl. But you said it. But I said it. Here's the thing is that I get it. I get that his greatness is is what makes this even a story, right? You think he's the only person in the NFL to text wifey or somebody, this is our year, we're going for it? No, but he's Pat Mahomes and he got it done. So the legend grows right. of Pat Mahomes, right? He's supposed to do this. Wifey is supposed to like it and heart it and do all that good stuff. Here's the thing, though. Ain't no way he didn't text that group chat until January 28th. What's she delete? I want to see what she deleted in between oh, these two texts. I think that this is him responding to. So what I think this is, is him saying, I've decided I'm going to win this. We're going to win the Super Bowl. And then he responds to that and said, I'll see y'all in Vegas. So that's why just those two texts are isolated. Yeah. Okay. I'm just saying, I get it. It's a good story, yeah. but come on, let's not gas it up. Every quarterback in the playoffs, in the championship game, there are probably a thousand players in a league who have done exactly this. He's just Pat Mahomes and he called a shot. So good for him. Can you imagine if he was like, if there were texts deleted? I don't think there are. I think you can see kind of like the blurriness in the background. These are highlighted texts because it's a response. But he says, if can you imagine if it was, I decided we're going to win the Super Bowl and the next one is, Dad, I'm just kidding. This team is trash. <laughs> These guys can't catch it all. Oh, man, I'm about to say, Tony's out of here, guys. <laughs> oh, my God. That guy got a Super Bowl ring for catching nothing. But you know what? That's more than any of us. Yep. Super Bowl mm, ring, two now. Things. Yeah. Next up on the latest edition of the New Heights podcast, Jason Kelsey shared the story of how he ended up wearing a luchador mask. I don't know if you guys saw this. It's amazing. It keeps showing. Uh, all the videos are um, really focusing on Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey dancing together and singing to each other. And then in every single one of them, like off into the corner, is just a wasted, completely plastered Jason Kelsey dancing by himself in Chiefs overalls in a luchador mask. So he explains first where he found the mask. Found the mask on the dance floor Stop the first it. after party spot. Did you at least like just give it a quick rinse under the sink? No. Where was I going to rinse it off, Travis? <laughs> the bathroom. Just, just say. You see a luchador mask, you don't ask questions. I for sure thought I was getting pink eyed. It, that's that just, it adds to the legend. I mean, we just talked about the Pat, the legend of Patrick Mahomes. This is the legend of Jason Kelsey. Him finding a luchador mask on the floor of a club yeah. and deciding to put it on. Sure. And I'm sure it has some stank on it, but uh, he's in a zone. This is what I appreciate about uh, Jason Kelsey in that moment. You and I were watching a video of him in the club, and I go, that is a married man in the club. He ain't worried about popping no bottles. He's not surrounded by women. He is next to the DJ in his own world, (laughs) belly out, vibing away. That is the epitome of dad vibes right there. I appreciate Kelsey for – this whole year, man, making it interesting. The tush push was a big deal. He's the anchor behind that. He supports his brother like crazy. He's in the suite, jumping out into the crowd. I mean, Jason Kelsey was exactly what I wanted to be as a football player. Just yeah. a guy hanging out with dudes and then goes to the club and still respects wifey, even though he's probably blacked out, but he ain't worried about nothing else but having a good time. Also on the New Heights podcast, uh, Travis uh, and Jason talked about a New York Times article that came out. The New York Times stays so far behind. 
Like, it is <laughs> wild to me. This is not the first time that they've had some kind of article crediting someone for something they absolutely didn't invent, mostly crediting, like, a famous, like, white celebrity for doing mm-hmm. something they mm-hmm. most definitely didn't invent. In this case, uh, they talked about Travis Kelsey uh, basically inventing the fade. Oh, my God. God. Do you remember this? Yes, I do. So Travis you kidding Kelsey, me? Travis Kelsey. Come on, man. Talked about it. Thanks for whoever wrote this article. I had more barbers attack me for not even having anything to do with this. You invented the fade, Travis. No, I didn't. What better month to credit a white man with inventing the fade than February? <laughs> on the first, too. Came out on the first. I didn't want anything to do with this. I saw this and I said, no, 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 no. I didn't invent the fade, but I know where you can get a good one. And that's Patty Cuts, baby. Patty Cuts. I appreciate Travis going. And on February 1st, I don't want anything to do with this. Man, you kidding me? The fade been around since the 80s, bro. Fade is, is is a part of what we do is the fade. And a good fade, it's uh, something special. And uh, big ups to uh, the Kelseys for putting it out there and saying, look, man, we can't take credit for that. New York Times, goodness gracious, do some homework. Y'all ain't got a black representative over there that can tell you, hey, hey, don't print that. Honestly, probably not. Come on, New York Times. Uh, New York Times said they called it Travis Kelsey's haircuts. Um, So they said Travis Kelsey's haircut is dominating barbershop requests. And here's the thing. Travis was invited to the cookout, but now he's got to work on it again because New York Times gave you too much credit for something that you did not invent or make popular. You had some embarrassing popular. family members come up, and now we got to be we, <laughs> and now we got to be like, wait, wait, wait! Hold on, hold on, I invited myself. I was self-invited to the cookout. I just see that's how I knew I could do it. Is I just start saying we. We, yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's exactly how Goodness I did it. Goodness gracious! Uh, but yeah, I appreciated that uh, that Jason just admit that you invented it, Travis. <laughs> I feel like I'd like Jason Kelsey in real life. He seems like a really cool dude. Uh, Next up, the college football playoff is staying on ESPN through 2031 under a new $7 billion TV deal. Where it should be. Exactly. Where where else are you going to put that thing, man? Nowhere. ESPN. This is ESPN is sports. It's part of our culture. You, if you were to move that, it it mess just the whole vibe and feel of that whole thing. They do a great job with the coverage, with the um, the selection and all that stuff. Imagine how dope is going to be next year with twelve teams, man. Um, no, this is a, a great move. Keep it there as long as possible. It should it shouldn't be anywhere else. <laughs> From the Mag and Dex text line. Psh. Everyone knows Conor McGregor invented the fade. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Oh, God. If, if this was uh, XM radio, I could really let y'all know how I feel about that. But you know what? You know, Bonneville. I would, we'll, we'll keep it. We'll keep it Bonneville. I would. I would love for you to let us know how you <laughs> feel about it. FCC. Yeah, less Bonneville. Yeah, but uh, but I'd still love to hear it. Next up, Wazoo President Kirk Schultz is going to represent the college football playoff leaders next week at a proposal for the Pac-2 to be treated as a Power Five conference in revenue and voting rights moving forward. That's funny. It's it's funny. Um, funny. I get where they're because they don't want to lose it. They're like, look. We've been here. We didn't go nowhere. They left us. We are still going to operate. Don't push us out of the power five. But I go, but to be a power five, you need some prestige over there. And with just Wazoo and Oregon State representing the pack, it's no longer a power five. It should it should be just power, power, dot, dot, dot. We'll see, right? Mm-hmm. Are you able to flip the Mountain West and get some uh, teams over there to join the pack. That's what it should be. I understand where he's coming from because Wazoo did absolutely nothing to be put in this situation. Um, 
But to be a power conference, you need power universities. Now, here's a bit more of what Schultz had to say. He said, we've been in autonomy five school and have resourced ourselves at that level for 25 to 30 years. Just because we were left standing in musical chairs, we don't feel it should be relegated by no fault of our own. Um, so in the current model, uh, the CFP distributes $6 million annually to programs and power leagues. Um those in the group of five earn about $1 million in distribution. So the Pac-12, meaning Wazoo and Oregon State, have been guaranteed the $6 million payment for 2020 this season and next season, but nothing beyond next season. They should take care of them in some type of way, but but in real realistically, they shouldn't get what other Power 5 schools are getting. All right, you guys, that will do it for the timeline. We're getting back to the Mariners. You're listening to Bump and Stacey on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. We're talking about Mariners not on this team, but who are now with other teams. Which former Mariner will you be following most closely in 2024? That's next. Bump and Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Which former Mariner will you be following the closest in 2024? I know we've all got our eyes on some new Mariners, some Mariners that we already love who have been here, some veterans. But that doesn't mean we can't watch uh, our uh, dearly departed friends. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Dearly departed. Yeah. That's dearly, like when Bum says they're not. I know. I know. What's she doing over here? I know. I should. I really should leave well, that to Bump. These guys are still living. Bump's the one that makes it sound as though players yes. who have been traded or cut have mm-hmm. have died. Yeah, and I should a make little that piece of you does die. When you get cut or trade. Trust me, I know. Okay. I know. Saying Puna Ford, comma, who's no longer with us. Where's he at? You don't <laughs> know. Buffalo, I don't know. Right? I don't actually know. <laughs> yeah, I think I it's Buffalo. Know. Yeah. Which former Mariner will you be following the closest in 2024? You've got a couple choices here. Gino Suarez, Jared Kelnick, Robbie Ray, Teoscar Hernandez, Marco Gonzalez, Paul Sewell, Tom Murphy. Get your answers into the Mac and Jack's text line, 866-979-3776. Bump, you got a couple choices, not just those listed. Who are you thinking? Yeah, but uh, they're listed. <laughs> so <laughs> the first one is because um, I just I know who he is. I feel like I know who he is. I know what he brings to a team, and that's Gino. I mm. want to see what Gino does. I want to see if he heard all the he came into spring training out of shade. Mm-hmm. His uh, his bat speed isn't the same, and how he responds because. Gino seems like a guy who loves proving people wrong. That's just the vibe I get from him. But the one I'm really going to be watching is Jared Kelnick. Of course. I, I want to see, especially with how candid he's been during this offseason about how his game didn't really fit in Seattle. He wasn't really comfortable. Like He wasn't able to be himself. Uh, because of that, I go, okay, you feel good in Atlanta, right? Let's see what a comfortable Jared Kelnick looks and feels like because there were times I had to tell a texter, uh, to start the show, I go, J.K. carried this team to start the season. He came out Yeah, hot. don't forget it. Don't forget that. They're like, oh, well, he, when, when he went down, they went on a run. I go, yeah, for sure. I'm just talking about to start the season when he felt like himself, he looked good. So I want to see what he looks like when he's around guys that he vibes with. He seems like he's comfortable. Mm-hmm. He's at a ballpark that, that favors uh, hitters. So let, let's see what it looks like. You mentioned some of those things he said. Those things were too foul territory, uh, and this is what it was. When I was over there, I never – I just never felt truly like myself. And that's not like fully to blame on that organization. Like uh, you have a choice at the end of the day and of who you want to be. And I think that my time there, there was a lot of things that I needed to learn. And I just don't think I, when my time with them, 
the role that they had me in or whatever, the, what they were trying to teach me, which just wasn't, I wasn't in the right place to hear it, I don't think. So it doesn't feel like blaming the organization, although I think privately, I don't know that there was hostility. I don't know that there was blame. I do think there felt from the outside looking in like a broken relationship and one that just was not going to heal here. I don't think that by the end of his tenure, Jared Kelnick had too much pressure on him. By then, you had Julio who had taken off. Uh, you had a couple other guys contributing offensively. And importantly, you had an amazing pitching staff that right. was able to you know, take pressure off the lineup as a whole. I think, though, that this relationship was to a place where I just assumed Jared Kelnick will need to blossom with another organization. Like, this is a grass-must-be-greener kind of situation for him. He will not be able to find it here. It's just too far gone. Maybe that wasn't true, but it's how I see it. And I hope for him that he's able to tap into that. I do think, though, that if Jared Kelnick becomes an all-star with the Braves, it is natural to look at his time with Seattle and wonder what the Mariners did wrong and Mar- and wonder why the Mariners couldn't tap into that. And I think you uh, will agree with me when I say this. He's got all-star type potential. Yeah. The physical is there with, with Kelnick. The thing that concerned us the most was just his mental. Never smiling, not having fun. Okay, that's part of who you are. But my man hits, uh, I believe, the, the game-winning hit or whatnot and, and no smiles and serious and Gatorade is dumped on him, doesn't flinch. I go, man, there has to be a side of you that we're not seeing. There has to be a side of you that I saw within two minutes of that interview, just watching him, listening to him speak, the tone of his voice, his body language. So I believe him 100%. He felt like he could not be himself. So what does that mean? Does that mean that the the coaches were trying to mold him into a person or a player that he just wasn't. Mm-hmm. As coaches, sometimes you just got to take the good with the bad when it comes to your player and find a way to make it so that he feel like he feels like he can be himself even on his bad days. You're able to be yourself, and when players are themselves or feel like they can um, laugh at the things they want to laugh at, um, challenge the things that they want to challenge. Everything in their universe just starts to slow down and becomes peaceful. I never felt peace when I looked at Jared Kelnick watching him play or point. even interview. That's a really good point. Uh, another name that's really popular on the Mac and Jack's text line, former pitcher Marco Gonzalez. Shannon had this to say about the loss of Marco. Uh, even when he was away from the team, there were calls, there were texts. Um, it was somebody that I know that Scott Service could lean on a little bit. And you heard guys talking about that he had checked in. Uh, now within that rotation, you, you know, Luis is there, and I think he sets an example uh, by watching a little bit more, not very vocal, although Bryce Miller says that he is somebody that he really looks to. So there is that leadership, but I think that they could use a little bit more of it, and I think it hurts in that regard, too, with no Marco. So we were wondering, Bump, you and I, about what the loss of not just Robbie Ray and Marco, but also of Gino would mean for leadership on the team. And I think we're still going to watch and see where some of that leadership comes from. Does it come from Mitch coming back? I mean, he was a big leader on this team. Does it come from Julio kind of growing into that role as still a very young player? Does it come from someone we're not expecting? Either way, it that leadership now gone makes you wonder if he, he, Marco Gonzalez, will find that role with another team. I'm rooting for Marco Gonzalez. I'm okay with him not being part of this rotation. He didn't really have have a place with how deep this group is, but I root for him from afar. Yeah, I thank Marco for uh, hanging around during these tough years, man. And with the talent that you have in this rotation, you're right, there really just wasn't a place for him, but I think there's a place for him in this league. And a guy who has 
been the 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 scrapper that he is, right? He doesn't throw gas. He's not going to overwhelm you uh, with his velocity, but he's going to go out there and compete. And that's what we kept hearing about Marco. And I, and I know some people are tired of that. Oh, we don't want him to compete. We want him to dominate. That's not who he is, mm-hmm. right? He's a scrappy type of dude. So when you have a guy like Marco on your roster, I think it it naturally filters out to the rest of your rotation and guys in a bullpen because you just watch the way that he works and his attitude. And if you're smart, you start to pick some of that from him and use it in your game. Um, I'm going to throw on at the end uh, Paul Seawald. I think we'll always just root yeah, for man. Paul Seawald. Mm-hmm. Nicest dude. And I'm curious to see whatever happens with Teo. Like, that was a guy who really came on in August. Like, were we not all focused on Julio? Teo would have been your hottest player, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but he really didn't give you what you were hoping you'd get from him this season. And I'm always curious as to why Seattle can't tap into that. Like, when they bring in guys in free agency or via trade in terms of position players, in terms of uh, offense, sometimes it just doesn't work out. Like, they have down years in Seattle. I know you can say, oh, it's a pitcher park, but, like, it feels like it's so much more than that. So I'm always curious to see whether, like, Jesse Winker, they struggle elsewhere, and you Mm -hmm. go, okay, maybe it was that player and not the Mariners. Or whether they take off, because the more guys take off when they leave you, the more you wonder if it's you. Yeah, I mean, in every into a relationship if you can't look at yourself and be like oh, i would have done something differently then that relationship was doomed from the beginning so uh if these guys go go somewhere else and do some great things and they're able to tap into something that they couldn't hear you have to self-reflect and say okay what are we doing that's not allowing these guys mm-hmm. to perform at a high level and feel like they can be themselves? You're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. We are sticking with the Mariners, of course. Big day for the Mariners with pitchers and catchers reporting for spring training. Mariners broadcaster Aaron Goldsmith joins us next.